Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And I was with El Trumpito tonight, the 45th president of these United States. That's right, the Nalvis Magnus, and we're going to get to that in the third segment. But right now, I want to talk about evictions, because that's what's going on in the White House today. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, asked a very legitimate question to Jen Psaki at the White House. And that's Silent P, of course, Jen Circle back Psaki, saying... With regard to the eviction moratorium, is Biden signaling that he doesn't respect the rule of law? Now, again, this is a hat tip to right scoop, but CBS News correspondent, Chief White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy says, One more question. On the eviction moratorium, I'll, the president may support the legal justification, but he also publicly gave notice and voice to doubts about the constitutionality. What's the White House's message then to Americans? who've heard that what happened yesterday was something from this podium where the president said on Monday, and we can't square the two. And now they're disappointed. What is it that the president is signaling that he doesn't uh, respect the rule of law? Is that what's going on? Listen to this. One more question on the eviction moratorium. I'll approach it this way. Uh, The president may support the legal justification, but he also publicly gave voice to doubts about the constitutionality. What's the White House's message then to Americans who heard what happened yesterday, heard what was said at this podium on Monday, Mm -hmm. can't square the two and are now disappointed that the president is signaling that he doesn't respect the rule of law? I'm not sure there are Americans evaluating it to that degree. Maybe there are some you've talked to. I don't know. What the president has, his message to the American people, especially those who are concerned about uh, losing their homes, being kicked out of their homes, is that he's going to do everything in his power to make sure they can stay in their homes as long as possible. That is not just an extension of the eviction moratorium, which obviously a step was taken yesterday. It is also about using every tool at our disposal to get this money out. Well, that's interesting, Jen, per circle back, Pasaki. So you don't think people are evaluating it to this degree. What about the people that are facing the fact that they can't pay their mortgage because they haven't collected rent from their tenants? And this is precisely because of President Biden, AOC, and the Democrats' policy on evictions and promoting this moratorium. What about that? Well, the exchange continued with Stephen Portnoy from CBS asking Jen Pasaki back at the White House today, saying, hmm, there's no consistency here, huh? Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee eight years ago, Vice President Joe Biden, of course, half a year as president, he speaks often about the democracy versus autocracy. He's issuing, yet overseeing this order from the CDC, 
in the face of doubts about its constitutionality. He seems to echo this even just as early as yesterday. But there's no consistency here. The president is, and this is Portnoy, saying there are many people out there who say that the president is essentially not giving voice to the ethic that he campaigned on. He didn't call on Congress or the presidency, for that matter, to do exactly what he's doing. He asked Congress to act and nobody's acting but him in his executive authority. Listen to this exchange. The president's a lawyer, spent 36 years in the Senate, was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, eight years of vice president, half a year as president. He speaks often about democracy versus autocracy. He's issuing or overseeing this order from the CDC in the face of doubts about its constitutionality, which he seemed to echo yesterday. There's no inconsistency here. The president is, I mean, there are are many people out there who say that the president is is, is essentially not giving voice to the ethic that he campaigned on. He didn't call Congress back. He asked Congress to act. It didn't. How do you square all that? You know, I'm going to ask you who's saying that. Well, there are plenty of people who are saying it. They are not just Republicans. Okay, I'll I'll leave that to others to figure out. But I think what's important to note here is that the president would not have moved forward with a step where he didn't feel comfortable and confident in the legal justification. It is also a reality that there are legal steps that have been taken by the Supreme Court in the last few months. And we have spoken to that publicly. We're not going to hide from that. But he asked the CDC and his legal experts to look at what is possible. This is a narrow, targeted moratorium that is different from the national moratorium. It's not an extension of that. It's a different moratorium from a policy and legal standpoint. So he felt comfortable in the justification and uh, the legal approach to this effort. And I got to tell you, one of the landlord and housing tenant advocates that's out there, and I've represented some on the radio, but I'm going to tell you, this one in particular, Stacey Johnson Cosby, she's got it right. The government should stay out of this. I mean, that's what Reagan said, right? He said, get off my back and out of my pocket. Portnoy was right asking these questions. Jen Pacircle back Pasaki, she's lost. She doesn't know what to say. But I want you to hear from Stacey Johnson Cosby. She's a landlord and housing advocate. And she was on MSNBC, excuse me, saying the government needs to just stay out of this thing. Listen to this. Will that solve it, Stacey? There's $46 billion allocated for rental assistance. Once it gets through, I mean, you got 26 states that haven't even given out 10% of their money yet. So that's the problem. What government should have done is stayed out of the housing business. They should have focused on getting the rental assistance out into the marketplace. And there's not a problem that it goes into the hand of the landlords. Of course it should, because that is that is who the rent is due to. When a renter lives into the property, lives in the property, nothing is free. So of course it's going to go to the housing provider so that we can in turn turn around and make our mortgage payment and pay to maintain the property. The, the problem is that government, when they shut the economy down, should have immediately made funds available to us to cover the rent for those tenants that they wanted covered. It is not our responsibility to shelter them. And we need to make sure we know that the implications are long-term. Those tenants, when we ex- extend the eviction moratorium, they need to realize that they're still on the hook for the money that is due. And if they can't pay seven or $800 a month now, there's no way at the end of the moratorium they're going to be able to pay eight, nine, or $10,000. Government needs to focus and get all hands on deck today 
figuring out how to more efficiently get the rental assistance out into the hands of those that need them. And if they would have, instead of spending so much energy on their moratorium and extending that, they need to do what they do best, which is getting that money out to us. And Ms. Johnson Cosby's nailing it right here. She's 100% right. The problem is that the government, when they shut down the economy, should have immediately made funds available to us landlords to cover the rent for those tenants that they wanted covered. It's not the responsibility of landlords across the country to shelter any tenants that aren't paying. And I'm not advocating to throw people out because they lost their job because there was a pandemic and the government shut down their businesses. I'm not. I am making the case that the same way we protect the tenant, we have to protect the landlord and the owner. They're not the bad guy. They're only the bad guy when Karl Marx is writing the narrative. We have to stick up for them. Otherwise, these evictions are going to destroy what's left of America. Anyway, on that same theme, I want to get to some other things that happened in Congress today. The Congresswoman Cori Bush She had a lot to say, and in effect, she's making the case that things are going to be eviscerated if she doesn't have private security, yet you and me don't have private security. But anyway, I want you to hear how uh, hypocritical this is. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S. At Rich Valdez on all the social media. Make sure you give us a follow. Check us out and uh, engage with us. And please subscribe to the podcast if you're sharing it with your friends through text or through email or through uh, any of the social media. Make sure you click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And Congresswoman Cori Bush, she's always got something interesting to say lately. And this time she's saying... Well, listen, look, either I spent $70,000 on private security or I die, me muero. And that's basically what she's trying to say that, you know, look, you and me may not be able to spend on private security and we're not allowed to carry guns because that's the rules that they've made, gun control. But if she doesn't spend $70,000 on private security, she might die. I want you to listen to Congresswoman Cori Bush. Check this out. You faced some criticism in recent weeks over your push to uh, defund the police. Um, the campaign records show that you spent roughly $70,000 on, on private security, and some critics say um, that move is hypocritical. Um, what's your response to those critics? They would rather I die? You would rather me die? Is that what you want to see? You want to see me die? You know, because that could be the alternative. So either I spend $70,000 on private security over the last few months, and I'm here standing here standing now and able to speak, able to help save 11 million people from being evicted, or I could possibly have a death attempt on my life. And we're also talking about the same exact people who say horrible things about me, who lie to get to, to build up their base. And then because they lie about me, I receive death threats. 
So there you have it. Congresswoman Cori Bush says, you know what? Look, I need private security. I would rather have private security. That's what's going on. I need to be safe. But not you. No, 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 no. Ustedes olvídate que ustedes no necesitan nada. You don't need anything. In fact, we should just defund the police for the rest of everybody else. For me, I need $70,000 worth of private police. Listen to this. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets because we're trying to save lives. Wow. So I'm going to make sure I have security, but for the rest of us, let's make sure we defund the police because I know I've had attempts on my life and I too have work to do. Much work to do is what she said. There are too many people that need help right now for me to allow that to happen. Oh, excuse me, Congressista Cory Bush. So all of a sudden, because you're elected to public office, your life is worth more than the next person's? We're no longer all God's children? The hypocrisy is astounding. I think we need to defund you. We need to defund Congress. We need to defund the Democratic Party. Now, it sounds to me like she's pretty anti-police. And Steve Ducey in the White House, Peter Ducey, excuse me, he says, well, it sounds like she's also making anti-police statements. And according to what they said was that they're not anti-police. And if you say that they're anti-police, then you're fake news. But listen to this exchange here with Peter Ducey. Check this out. Between Peter Ducey and Jen Pasirkelback Pasaki. Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush is saying that she favors spending tens of thousands on private security to keep her safe. And that people should, quote, suck it up, defunding the police has to happen. Didn't President Biden say a few weeks ago that anybody who accuses the party of being anti-police is lying? Well, I think we shouldn't lose the forest through the trees here, which is that a member of Congress, an elected official, is concerned that her life is threatened. And that's disturbing that any elected official would have to suffer death threats and fear for their life. So I'm not going to comment, of course, on their security arrangements. I don't have any more details on that. Uh, but I think we should start with that point first. I will say uh, that the president has been crystal clear that he opposes defunding the police. Uh, he has said that throughout the cam his campaign for office. His record over the last several decades has made that clear. He has proposed increased funding for law enforcement and the COPS program, increased funding from his predecessor, who was, as you might note or be aware of, a Republican. So I'd note that his record is pretty clear on this. There may be some in the Democratic Party, including Congresswoman Bush, who disagree with him. That's okay. But I would say the majority uh, of Democrats, we've seen this in polling, and the majority of members uh, also uh, agree that we should not defund the police. Is there a greater concern, though? I understand that's not the president's position, but is there a concern uh, that defunding the police or uh, suck it up, defunding the police has to happen might become uh, a big Democratic message ahead of the midterms? It does not appear to become uh, be, be becoming a Democratic message, even though there might be a desire for that on the other side of the aisle. Absolutely insane, these people. Now, listen, I, I'm not trying to be a partisan here. I'm really just trying to make the case that when you dial 911, you expect the police to show up. You expect a, a, a police officer that's in good physical shape, that has a firearm, to be able to defend you, protect you, help you, assist you, whatever. You don't expect 
for things that are bad to get worse. You don't expect to go from Guatemala to Guatapeor. Of course not. But it seems Democrats, all they want to do is hurt the police, pick apart the police, and dismantle and defund the police. Today, Attorney General Merrick Garland was at a press conference, and he says that we're opening up a civil rights investigation into Phoenix, Arizona's police department, because this overall is going to help public safety. So guess what? If you're if you think stopping, shutting down, stifling, investigating, tying the hands, handcuffing the police in Phoenix is going to be helpful to the citizens of Phoenix, you've got another thing coming. Now, I'm not saying that any cops are above reproach and they shouldn't be checked if they're wrong. Check them away. Do what has to be done. That's what the free market's all about. Nobody's going to want these people if they don't do a good job. However, I will say this. We've got to stop attacking the men and women of law enforcement, making the case that somehow we can get by without police. I've got news for you, my friends. While there's a couple of bad neighborhoods where that might have good police departments, but corrupt criminals overrunning those police departments, that may be a thing, like in Oregon in many places. But by and large, you've got families that are expanding. You've got neighborhoods that are safe, and we want to keep them that way. We don't want these problems. We don't want to defund the police and create a situation that's worse than it is. Anyway, don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. You're listening to This is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And so here's the deal. We've got the education sector, uh, secretary, excuse me, Miguel Cardona, that's talking a lot of jazz. He's saying a lot of things. And we're going to get to all of that. But I want to tell you a little bit about what happened tonight. I was at the Trump National Golf Course in Westchester here in New York. And none other than El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. He was there. It was great. And we're going to play some audio from that that you're not going to hear anywhere else but here because I was there and I got to record some of it. so much. 
But you're not going to hear that anywhere else. There wasn't any press. It was a private event, and it was a really nice event. A lot of great people there. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, Donaldus Magnus, El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, and so many other great patriots from the state of New York and the surrounding areas. So uh, just quick shout-out to them. But I want to talk about Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. Now, Miguel Cardona is not somebody that I've had a lot of confidence in. I feel that he's not doing the best job. But again, I also feel that we don't even need a federal department of education. Right? That's just my philosophy, my take, my belief. Now, he was at the White House press briefing today. And he says he's not worried about teachers' unions closing schools. He's worried about decisions that will put students' health first, meaning don't make bad decisions that will hurt the students. Now, of course, that's a given. I don't think anybody that's involved in any type of elected administrative position of leadership within any public school system or even private school system should be making a choice that puts children's lives at stake. So I think it goes without saying that it doesn't matter if you work at Macy's or if you don't or you're shopping there on the weekends. If you're invited to one of these types of events, you're invited to the White House, wherever it is, you're ideally going to look where you think this stuff exists, not immediately in your suit jacket and say, nope, nobody here that fits that mold. I mean, I think that's just uh, interesting that it would even um, make that type of thing, that he's not worried about those decisions. Of course not. Who's, who'd be worried about that? But I want you to hear Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education, United States, saying that he's worried about the decisions that will not put students' health first. And as best I know, there aren't school boards that are doing that. But maybe there are. Listen to this. Are you engaged in discussions with teachers unions that might be reluctant about returning to the classroom this fall because of the Delta variant? And how significant do you expect that challenge to be? Yeah, I, I really don't expect it to be a challenge to work with our teachers to get our schools reopened. In fact, I think they've shown a lot of... Uh, proactive uh, communication about wanting to reopen schools. All teachers want schools reopened. We just want to make sure that they're safe for students and for staff. So I look at it as uh, another partner in the process of making sure that we're doing what's right to reopen our schools. And while the Delta variant is providing uh, new challenges, we have the tools, we have the resources, and we have the experience of what worked last year to get it done safely. But what about states that are, say, prohibiting school districts from imposing mask mandates? Are you worried that there will be teachers unions that say, 
if we can't keep the schools safe the way that we feel we should, we don't want to come back. I'm worried that decisions that are being made that are not putting students at the center and student health and safety at the center is going to be why schools may be disrupted. So we know what to do. You know, don't be the reason why schools are disrupted because of the, the politicization of, of this uh, effort to reopen schools. We know what works. We have to keep our students safe. We have to keep our educators safe. To me, it seems when they were giving out testosterone, this guy skipped that day. They're giving him a little less than they're giving everybody else. He seems to be a wuss. He's not standing up for what he believes in, in my opinion. But it seems that he's worried. And at the same White House press briefing, he says, my message to Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott is don't be the reason why schools are interrupted. So now he's blaming COVID and school closures on Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis on Florida and Texas. Biden was doing the same thing a couple of days ago. While they're standing up for the liberty of their state, trying to interpret their constitution as fairly as possible, he's blaming this on DeSantis and on Abbott, I want you to hear this. Kids at this point have gotten used to wearing masks, my children included. Right. What is your message to governors like Governor DeSantis in Florida and Governor Abbott of Texas who have banned mask mandates? You know, don't be the reason why schools are interrupted. Our, our kids have suffered enough. Let's do what we know works. Let's do what we know works across the country. Uh, we shouldn't get pol politics. Should, doesn't have a role in this. Educators know what to do. Uh, we did it last year. So I have calls out to those states. But at the end of the day, I want to work with Texas. I want to work with Florida. I want to make sure those students have access to in-person learning. Um, so at the end of the day, we're all in this together. And it's critically important that we have conversations with governors directly, with state chiefs directly. We want to be uh, an ally and make sure that we're supporting our students. At the end of the day, we're talking about students being in classrooms. They've, they've suffered enough. It's time for, for them to be in the classroom without disruption to their learning. And then they both try to take on this position that they're above reproach, that this is not a partisan issue, that they're not using politics to get at people. We're doing this to avoid partisan name-calling. I want you to listen to Jen Pasirkelback, Pasaki in the White House, taking shots at Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott. Check this out. Also on the COVID front, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is now fundraising off of President Biden's uh, comments for him to, quote, get out of the way of people trying to help battle the COVID surge in that state. DeSantis has said, I'm standing in your way, I'm not going anywhere, and referred to the president as a power-hungry tyrant. What is your response or the, to the governor and the administration's response to the governor? And is the president considering reaching out to DeSantis to talk this over? Well, first, um, from day one, uh, we've approached this not as a political issue, but a public health issue. Uh, we remain in touch with officials in Florida, just like we're in touch with officials from around the country, about how we can provide assistance from the federal level to help address this public health crisis. Uh, what, we, what I have cited and what the president has cited is publicly available data about public health and the impact in Florida. It is factual, and it is a fact, and data that you all are aware of that 25% of hospitalizations in the country are in Florida. It is also a fact that the governor has taken steps that are counter, counter to public health recommendations. So we're here to state the facts. Frankly, our view is that this is too serious, deadly serious, to be doing partisan name-calling. Now, you would think that after making such a statement that she would really support healthy people, healthy choices, healthy lifestyles. 
because they want the best for the people in their immediate area. Well, in McAllen, Texas, that's not necessarily the case. You've got Jen back Pasaki saying that she defends that they have allowed 7,000 potentially COVID-positive illegal aliens into McAllen, Texas. And this is her defense. Listen to this. But do you think that it's keeping people safe from McAllen, Texas, where 7,000 confirmed COVID-positive migrants have been released into the city since February, 1,500 in the last seven days? Well, I think it's important to note what's actually happening in McAllen. So there's actually been uh, a, they signed a disaster declaration approved setting up a temporary emergency shelter to provide a space to create an isolated space to mitigate uh, this issue. And what happens is uh, DHS, and this is the process of what happens, uh, the agency, one, we're continuing to enforce Title 42, uh, resulting first in the expulsion of the vast majority of those encountered at the border. Uh, we also, uh, CBP also provides migrants who can't be expelled under Title 42 uh, with PPE. They're required to wear the PPE. If any exhibit signs of illness in CP, CBP uh, custody, they're referred to local health systems for appropriate testing, diagnosis, isolation, and treatment. And obviously, there are steps taken as needed, as this is uh, certainly evidence of. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Just like Senator Marco Rubio makes a lot of sense when he says that the reason for the surge in Florida is not because of mask wearing or anything like that, but it's because the people that are invading the state. Listen to this. Look, just thinking about how to talk about this recent COVID uptick that we're seeing, okay? And it's a complicated issue. On the one hand, there's people out there that are just tired of being told what to do. Like after a year and a half of being told what to do and lectured at, people that are traumatized, they think they're gonna close their business again, they think their kids aren't gonna be able to go back to school for another year, they don't wanna hear about it. They got vaccinated and they're done, okay? If they get a cold, which is what COVID is, if you get a vaccine for the most part, they're willing to do that. They're, they just are not willing to shut down and they're tired of being told what to do. On the flip side, I have family members and friends that work at hospitals that are traumatized too. I mean, they're being overwhelmed again in some places. I know people, I know a couple that had bilateral pneumonia, both of them, they were on, you know, minutes away from having to be intubated. Thank God that didn't work out that way. But I had a high school teammate of mine, great guy, died two weeks ago from COVID, same age as me, might even be a year younger than me. So this is a complex issue. So here's what I wanna say. If you look at what's happening with COVID right now, the reason why we have a surge in hospitalizations is not because vaccinated people weren't wearing masks and therefore they spread it to all these people. The reason why we have it is we have a variant that, that spreads a lot faster, so you infect more people with it, and we don't have enough people vaccinated. So we have a lot of people unvaccinated, we have a variant that spreads faster, so it infects more unvaccinated people, and some percentage of unvaccinated people, even if they're younger, are going to wind up in a hospital with a really bad outcome in some cases. And the more people are infected, the higher that number is going to be. And that's what we're experiencing. And the problem with this mask mandate is, talk about mask mandates is, a lot of these infections are not happening at a Publix or a CVS or a Walgreens. They're happening because people are getting together on a Saturday night at home to have a barbecue. And just not, it's not realistic. People just aren't going to wear a mask in those settings. They're not going to do it. You cannot mask your way out of this. The only answer here is to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And I think just talking about the numbers, pointing out the numbers, what your chances are if you're vaccinated, what your chances are if you're not, just talking about that has already begun to move people and will continue to move people. And that's what we should be focused on. If we get more people vaccinated, the world's going to look very different a month from now. Let's get that done. 
And that's exactly what happens. This is what happens when people don't stand up. And that's why I always say you have to stand for something. If not, you're going to fall for everything. But what I find interesting here is that there are lots of people standing up. Tonight, I was at the Trump National Golf Course in Westchester, New York. Lots of people, lots of patriots, lots of amazing individuals doing their thing, trying to balance it out to make sense of everything so that they can defend their families. But ultimately, everybody's looking for freedom. Everybody's looking for liberty. And all Americans deserve it. So I'm not going to accept these fake, phony, fraud, fugazi responses when it comes to standing up for the children. Not for the unions, but for the children. We have to. And that's one of the conversations I had tonight. In addition to uh, listening to President Donald Trump, the 45th president of these United States, who I like to call Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, the 45th president, El Presidente. But I also like to speak to others that are working hands-on in these neighborhoods, in these communities. And I met some people from one of the Save Our Schools committees tonight, and they were patriots. Lots of great things to say, listeners to the program, and I think that's important. And again, I reiterate, it's so important to stand for something, because if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. And I don't want that to be the case. I want you to do something. I want you to do plenty. I want you to do much so that we can win this thing. And we shared a lot of audio, a lot of opinion, a lot of direction. You don't got to do all of it. I just want you to consider all of it and go in the route that you feel is the best. And remember, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So don't do nothing. Do something. Bring it to them. Be tough about it. Be smart about it. Because you're a patriot. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 